you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Sheen Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon. Father Travis Crowdy. You were zoning out there during the intro music, weren't you? I was ready. Well, just coffee getting, wasn't quite prepared. kicking in yet. Just prepared. You're, you're still getting over uh, all the jet lag and everything. Except we're in the same time zone, so there wasn't any That's jet true. Lag. That's we're true. We're just tired from <laughs> everything. Life. Yeah, I did jump right back into like weekend masses, so it's been a little, you know, a little... Hey, a little busy, a little full. No rest for the wicked during Lent. It's go time. No way. Absolutely. Yeah. It's in fifth gear all the way through uh, Divine Mercy yeah, Sunday. You don't have to here. look for many, like, <laughs> it's funny when you, living a life like that, that I did in uh, Honduras on the mission trip, it, you just kind of like understand the saints, especially those like hardcore, like aesthetics. Mm-hmm. And as, yeah. Ascetics. Yeah. Right. Not aesthetics. Different, different <laughs> aesthetics, type. Different yeah. stuff. <laughs> different topics. Um, yeah. It's like not you don't have to like find a lot of like, you don't have to make up your own Lenten penances when you're sleeping on a floor yeah, and exactly. like moving rocks and build and like walking up a mountain and like, right. Cold and bread showers. And water, ex- yeah, bread and water is the only thing you get to Exclusively cold showers and all this stuff. I'm like, yeah. Oh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Go figure. They didn't have hot water heaters for all these people. <laughs> cool. water. Cool. Water. Well, I have been in Honduras. Um, where have your travels taken you? Father Shane. Not nearly as far. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, I did go over to Iowa City. I've been... Uh, that's pretty exotic. Down at the, yeah, no kidding. All different types of people in Iowa City. <laughs> University of Iowa draws them all. And we welcome the diversity and the, just the rich, rich viewpoints that so many people are, are, are struggling with there. Because when I go to the Newman Center down at Iowa City, it's just fascinating to meet people who say, whoa this is who I thought I was as a Catholic. And then I, I get all these other mindsets and mentalities coming at me. People challenge my faith, maybe want to support my faith in ways I've never considered. Huh. And it's incredibly eye-opening. Uh, I, I just, I like kind of the expansive thought that meets everybody at the Newman Center in Iowa City. Because hmm. uh, there's so many kids who say like, oh yeah, mom and dad, I'm going to go to church. I know where the Newman Center's at. You drop me off and I'll walk, you know, down to church every Sunday or whatever. Um, but what they what they're coming in the door with is is a quick really uh, life lesson on I have to evaluate really what do I believe here and why yeah. do I believe it and and that's always kind of where the rubber meets the road down there when I visit that Newman Center that, oh, and that's why college ministry is just so exciting mm-hmm. because I mean people young people are right in that spot right on the cusp of either accepting that challenge and accepting that kind of like broadening perspective. Or it's it's really it can be like kind of um, oh, how do I want to say it? it's very confusing, and then it's really easy to just step away right. from the kind of like maybe maybe poorly integrated faith of your childhood. Right. It's like you got to either you got to deal with it somehow. Right. Yeah. It's it was fun seeing some um, familiar faces from the diocese. Some of my old students who were down there who were just really thriving. Yeah. Taking their faith very seriously. Um, it's also been fun now as seven years of vocation director work to go down there and see how focused missionaries have been um, yes. you know, taking root. I, the University of Iowa's only had focus for four years, um, and Iowa State perhaps just a little bit longer than that, which is fairly behind a lot of other oh, large yeah. universities who have had it for well over a decade or two. Um, 
I think Drake University, even Wayne State out in Nebraska, has had focused missionaries oh, yeah. lo- much longer than some of our st- large state universities. But after four years at the University of Iowa, I, I can tell that there is a culture shift. Um, you know, focus isn't perhaps for everybody, and not everybody always clicks with their local focus missionaries. But I can see the fruit that's going on there, and there is a culture shift. Um, there, there's an openness and a welcoming um, desire for discipleship that I'm mm-hmm. seeing among the students. And I think their presence has been a great help to Father Jeff Belger and his campus ministry staff at the University of Iowa. And it's it's fun kind of seeing that continually bear yeah. fruit. It was really cool when we celebrated uh, Chris's uh, wedding yes. a year ago. Yeah. And that was only three years after it had started. Yeah. And just seeing like... Devin and Chris. Yeah, yeah. Seeing the community that then came around them, that was basically like the University of Iowa Newman Center's like focus people. Um, and just in a few years, watching how successful that was. Yeah, yeah, that was really exciting. Yeah. Well, shout out to all those people who involved in Focus, especially down at the University of Iowa and or wherever the Focus missionaries are hard at labor in the vineyard of the Lord. What do you got for us today, Father Shane? You know, um, we're approaching Holy Week here. Rapidly. Rapidly. And I think it would be good to maybe just step back and, and offer a little spiritual encouragement to our listeners who are really feeling outcast. You know, um, we recognize that we have listeners who practice the faith sincerely and who have many family members who don't, and that weighs heavily on their heart. Mm-hmm. We recognize that we also have listeners who might be living in a culture that doesn't really support active Christianity. Um, we also have some listeners who are just trying to be devout Catholics and they're they're striving and they're going and they just got like no one to run with them. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like maybe they go to work and they go out with some young adults after work on a Friday during Lent and like everyone wants to get sausage pizza and you're just like, well, you know, is there yeah. any faithful Christian out here who wants to eat fish with me or perhaps you know, pasta primavera or something without meat, <laughs> you know, something, macaroni and cheese, take your pick, whatever. Um, you know, there's, we have lots of listeners who are just kind of struggling and feel uh, like they're an outcast in many ways. Mm-hmm. And I just thought maybe we could offer just a, a spiritual word of encouragement um, during the sacred days of Holy Week to offer them a little support, specifically through the lens of saying, you are not alone because Jesus, our Savior, was an outcast. You can look at the sacred liturgies of Holy Week uh, as one big unfolding of of how this man, Christ our Savior, God and man, um, took on the full consequences of being an outcast, uh, taking on himself the sin of all the world, the sin of humanity, but also taking on the full consequences of what it meant to be in opposition to some of the Jewish leaders of the day, what it meant to stand in opposition of maybe Roman authority, not on a political level, but in terms of what is the ultimate kingdom at hand. Um, what did it mean to even just be feeling an outcast from his own disciples who, who still weren't grasping what his mission was going to fully entail and what it was all about? Mm-hmm. Um, Christ our Savior was an outcast. And these, these sacred days of Holy Week really point to that in, in very strong ways. Yeah, and he wasn't... He was an outcast, not just because he was a loser and people didn't like him. He was an outcast for the sake of saving us outcasts, right? right? And then giving us outcasts to participation in his life. Yeah. That's always so beautiful when you think about the the reality of salvation and like soteriology that 
Jesus became all things but sin mm-hmm. to allow us to participate fully in his life and to save us completely. Yeah. Despite of sin. Mm-hmm. Well, and he was an also an outcast because he was willing to preach the truth. Mm. He was an outcast because he was willing to love the unlovable. Yeah, because he was also like not just settling mm-hmm. for what the world had to offer. Yeah. And, and it started early on. I mean, you could look to like Luke 4. You know, Jesus is in a synagogue and he's, he's quoting Isaiah and uh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to, bra- to bring glad tidings to the poor and to proclaim liberty to captives. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> not much longer after that, uh, the people of Nazareth are ready to drive him off the, the edge of the cliff. Yeah. The, you know, they've led him up to the brow of the hilltop and they're ready to push and shove. Mm. And, um, and he slips away out of their midst. His hour had not yet come, right? Um, so from the beginning, you know, just of public ministry, he was really rejected by his own people. Uh, no prophet is without honor except in his, or from yeah. the native place. Um, from the beginning, his own, you know, his own local community was saying, uh, no, thank you. Uh, we're going to go look for another flavor. Oh, hard you know? pass. Yeah. yeah, hard pass. Uh, full stop. Never mind. Um, I think a lot about how Jesus was an outcast um, just in terms of also where his mind and his heart was. Obviously, mm-hmm. he's divine, so he was seeing things and interpreting things in ways far beyond us. But, you know... Um, before his his suffering began, he he looked over Jerusalem, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, we're in uh, what is it, Luke nineteen? He looks over Jerusalem and he just laments it. You've been in that church before, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. so for those of who haven't been able to be there, the behind the altar is just like an open wind, like not an open, just a pane of glass window, mm-hmm. and you get to see Jerusalem from presumably where Jesus was weeping over the city on the other side right over by the Mount of Olives. Right. Um, and it's got in the front altar has that interesting image that he says, how I wish to gather them like a hen with her, gathers bro- yeah. with her, with her chicks, with her brood. Right. Um, but just laments because they're not accepting. They're not right. like receiving him. Yeah. Just to, to spiritually put yourself in Jesus's shoes there, looking over the city, the hustle and bustle of everyday commerce, life and business, you know, children running around, the elderly, you know, walking in the streets, everybody going about their daily lives, and God himself sitting there weeping over the city, knowing what he can offer them, and knowing that it's just being left on the table, up for grabs. Um, and, he, and his heart just melts for that, to say, look what my people are rejecting and look how much more that I want for them that they don't want for themselves or perhaps don't even recognize that they need this for themselves. And, I, and I'm going to go walk into that city triumphantly, yes, on, on Palm Sunday, knowing how it's going to end. And, and I will continue to weep for them all the way to the bitter end, knowing that I will redeem it in the midst of the suffering. Uh, his, heart, his mind and his heart was as outcast as you can get in that moment. Um, other than the other persons of the Trinity, no one fully comprehended exactly what he wanted for Jerusalem in that moment, in her hour of salvation. No one was, you know, no one could fully comprehend other than the love of the Father and the power of the Spirit, how to console him in, that, in feeling so distant and so outcast 
from his own creatures, from his own children. Mm. Um, you know, the Blessed Mother, you know, shared in that, and she would have offered uh, a very holy and, and motherly response to his suffering heart in her own motherly care. But no one could fully enter into how outcast God was in his own world. <laughs> yeah. Especially in that moment and uh, leading all the way up to the cross. And you mentioned a little bit ago leading up to his passion, Paschal Mystery, um, even with the apostles who still didn't get it. And, you know, we've, we've been through Lent, I think, a few different times. They've come up in the scripture readings when he's like, like this generation asking for signs. Yeah. It's like you're not going to get a sign, you know. But those times he sighs, and I think the Gospel of Matthew kind of mentions that a few different times. He like groans and sighs all the time because mm-hmm. it's just the pain that's coming out of like he's not being seen, known, and loved as mm-hmm. he is seen, knowing, and loving those who are around him. Right, and that's so often our experience of of feeling outcast, especially those who are within the church, who whose 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 friends, whose family members are away. There's that feeling of of not being seen, known, and loved, mm-hmm. not being cared for, not being understood. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so helpful to recognize, like you just pointed out, that we're not alone in that mm-hmm. because Jesus paved the way for that, and he invites us to be there with him. Yeah, he's paving the way not only in the big sense of how he was such an outcast from humanity who would not accept his Savior, but he was paving the way even in the small ways. You know, the Pharisees who question him about, you know, why do your disciples not fast? You know, and he says, you know, you're not going to be fasting when the bridegroom is here present. Mm. Um, or when, when he is questioned by the, the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? Who are you associating with? Why are you tainting yourself? What are you doing? You know, those, those are small ways where he entered into what it's like to feel an outcast to go and be with the outcasts, the marginalized, those on the periphery, but then also to feel outcast from the Jewish authorities, to constantly be questioned, to constantly be scrutinized. Uh, and, and we have faithful Catholics who are out there who are constantly being questioned and scrutinized by everyone around them for everything they do. Some of that scrutiny might just be genuine, genuine curiosity, like, hey, I'm, I'm kind of curious, you, you do all these Catholic things, why? And there might be an opening for evangelization, but there are others who might just be offering spiritual daggers of discouragement, mm-hmm. trying to just kind of pick apart and discourage you as to why you do these things and why are you so faithful. And, uh, and that actually might be just speaking from their own conscience, like your fidelity and your Catholic practices are actually making me feel guilty yeah. because I don't have it all together spiritually. So why don't you just go away from me? Right. You know? Yeah. It's, I'm just, as you're sharing all that, it's interesting that it's interesting that inspired by the Holy Spirit, the writers of the scriptures, especially the gospels, would focus so much on how like discouraged and challenged and outcast Jesus is in his public ministry. Like constantly, like you're saying, all these different times with the Pharisees and scribes, all this pressure. But what's so beautiful is that he doesn't turn toward despair. Because our our easy like response most of the time is when we feel outcast, we just keep like being beaten down over and over again. It's like, yep, okay, fine. I'll just give in. I'll just mm-hmm. give in to the ways of the world. I'll just give in to this temptation. I'll just give in because you're right. Like I am outcast and this isn't worth it. And so I'm just going to give up. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jesus in his humanity, he doesn't give up. Like, and he just, he, I love that phrase of, and this is a beautiful um, one that's often in the liturgy leading up to Holy week. It's like his face is set like Flint 
as he prepares to go toward Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Like it's this determination and like he, he allows his will to be conformed to the father's will that he knows this is difficult, that he knows he's being outcast, but he knows it's for the sake of something greater. Mm-hmm. Um, and he allows himself to, yeah, to set his face like Flint and to move into his passion so as to move into the resurrection. Right. What an encouragement for those of us who feel outcast within our families, within our friend groups, within our culture, that we don't, we don't have to give up, right? That like the discouragement doesn't have the last word. Mm-hmm. The resurrection does. Right. Absolutely. Um, so I hope these are kind of some words of encouragement for everybody as they consistently not only deepen your own faith, but just grapple with these realities of how do I feel like an outcast? Uh, to be able to go to Jesus and say, you know how I feel. You've been there. Um, you know, so to not go to the Lord and just kind of whine and say, why am I all alone? Why have you stuck me in this situation? Why are you not fixing my problems? Uh, I think as Jesus can stay, say back to us in prayer, no, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I've been there. I've been there in the fullest sense. I've been there before, and I'm still in there in fighting with you now. I'm still in the outcast mode with my with my bride, the church, with my mystical body on earth. He still remains an outcast to this day in his faithful saints on earth who are still striving. Um, wherever the church is at and wherever the members of that mystical body are still feeling like an outcast, he is there and he remains there. And so don't feel like you're alone in all of this. Two, two ways to pray with this just came to mind that I think might be helpful to offer. Um, like recognizing that Jesus is with us is one thing to say that, but then to actually pray with it so as to integrate that into your like lived experience. One is to to pray into the scripture readings of Lexio Divina of Holy Week and recognize that Jesus is inviting us to be there with him, like you said, weeping over the city. Be there with him as he's scourged and mocked. Be there with him as he carries the cross, just like we do in the way of the cross and the stations of the cross. Be there with him, with Mary, with John at the foot of the cross, and be there with him in the tomb and in the resurrection, right? And Ignatius Viola does that beautifully in his 30-day exercises where he really invites the retreatant to like enter more deeply into that. But I found on retreat, the opposite is true too. In those moments where we've felt or feel outcast in prayer to allow our memory to kind of like, kind of kick that back up in our, in our mind's eye and to realize that just as present as Jesus is now with me, he was present in that moment of feeling outcast, whatever it might be. If it was a moment of shame or a moment of kind of, despair, discouragement coming from other people to allow in our imagination to realize that Jesus was there and to see, okay, if I was to revisit that now with Jesus, what does he want to say to that? And how does he want to comfort me in that with the awareness that he's been just as outcast? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a great idea. I think that's a beautiful way to, to recontextualize kind of those really poignant moments of our own journey Mm -hmm. And to go back and invite the Lord into that, or to at least recognize that he was there all along. And where do we see his presence? Where do we see his grace? And asking him to anoint that and to anoint the memory. Mm-hmm. So even if we're carrying a moment of shame, rejection, abandonment about something, watching him enter into that experience with us mentally in our own prayer allows us to to make that uh, anointed step into his reality and to not feel like we're just doing that all on our own. Yeah. Yeah. Good thoughts. Well, Father, uh, thanks for your um, thanks for your insights here. Before we wrap up, I just might offer a couple of words here from First Peter chapter two, um, describing kind of our Lord here in an outcast sense, 
as he was one who did no wrong. No deceit was found in his mouth, and when he was insulted, he returned no insult. When he was made to suffer, he did not counter with threats. Instead, he delivered himself up to the one who judges justly. So Christ was always that one, even in the sense of feeling an outcast. He always knew what his mission was, and he always remained in communion with the Father, and wanting to hand himself over as our atonement into the Father's embrace uh, would eventually allow all of us to experience that same fatherly embrace. So thanks again, Father, and thanks to all of our listeners. Let's keep each other in prayer and blessings on your Holy Week celebration. Thanks for the encouragement. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.